Okay, church, so we are in a few different places uh, in the New Testament this morning. The first will be Matthew 7, and then Matthew 28, and then Mark 1. So it's all on the screen. If you have a Bible, if you want to flip there really fast, you can totally do that. Um, but it'll be all on the screen. I want to read these portions of Scripture as they'll kind of like give us a framework for what we'll be doing today. And, and then I'll pray. But what, like what we've been doing, uh, let's, uh, let's stand um, and read this text out loud with me. And uh, then at the end, I'll say the word of the Lord, and then you respond, thanks be to God. We're trying to get more bodily movement um, uh, in, our, in our gathering, digital gathering. So please stand as we read today's text. Matthew 7, from the Sermon on the Mount, given by Jesus. At the very end, this is how Jesus concludes the Sermon on the Mount. Let's read together. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Matthew 28, from the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Mark 1.15, the time has come, Jesus said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we're all living in a, a storm, a cultural storm, um, a, a viral storm. We're living in a midst of just... Um, crazy things all around us. And Jesus, you said very clearly that these storms would come. These life storms would happen. These global storms would happen. They've happened over and over again in human history. But the, the one who builds their house on the rock, that is, that takes your teachings, listens to them, and puts them into practice, that house won't fall. But the ones who don't, the ones who merely just hear or listen to your words, but do not put them into practice. Their house is built on the sand, God. And there's a great crash coming. And I know for many, I've seen a lot of people burn out and crash during this time. And I feel that tension even in my own body. But Lord, we hold true and we want to hold fast to your word that if we put your word into practice, if we do your teachings by the power of your spirit, the house will not fall. Keep us from stumbling, God. Teach us how to live into the, your teachings. Show us your way. We want to be your apprentices. We want to become like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning, um, in light of everything going on in our world that continues to go on every single time we meet digitally, um, I want to start with a quote. This quote is from uh, Bill Gaultier. He is a PhD and founder of Soul Shepherding and was a disciple of Dallas Willard, who I'll quote, or who inspired this teaching. Maybe I won't quote him, but he inspired it. He said this, this is, um, he wrote this. He said, in this pandemic, we've seen racist police officers 
kill innocent black men thinking they're doing their job of public service. We've seen raging protesters loot stores, burn buildings, and kill innocent police officers and others doing this in the name of social justice. In both cases, people's beliefs and commitments to do good were not enough to enable them to be loving and peaceful in a crisis. Other people in the pandemic are too fearful of COVID-19 to leave their house or abusing alcohol to cope with quarantine, job loss, or family stress. Still others, including some pastors we talk with, are overworking and burning out. Anxiety, alcohol dependence, and overworking are spiritual formations. We're all getting a spiritual formation. The question is, what is forming you? I wanted to start with that quote because I think this is what we're experiencing in our world today. This is the flashpoint of all of the, of the tensions going on in our world right now. And it has a way of forming us. Um, the news, our response, how we cope is forming us. And we're in a series, we're ending it today, on um, our pathway of formation, how we believe, even in a time uh, of this pandemic and kind of everything going on in the political, you know, uh, election year. We believe, like, we, we say this tongue-in-cheek, um, how do we have an enter into transformation, the spiritual formation that makes us into Im the image of Christ during the hardest year in modern history? And, of, of course, that's kind of a joke, but not really. Every single week, it's something else. How do we take the news and live this life in a way that forms us into more gentle, peaceful, loving non-retaliatory people, the people that Jesus commands us to be. How do we do that? And so we've been saying what we need is the spirit. This is the triangle transformation. It's on the screen. The spirit, we need community. We need the practices of, of, of Christian community. And we need truth. Now, we've taught on all of these. Last week, we introduced the rule of life. This week, I want to just talk about truth. And this is going to be followed up by a series of podcasts as well. So I just want to scratch the surface a little bit. And I want to end with something that um, we're, we're doing with um, maybe a, th a few thousand other churches across the nation. And uh, this is Repentant Sunday, um, where churches are joining together um, to corporately repent and get before God and go, God, we repent. We want to align our hearts with your hearts and our desire with your desire and confess our sins to you and ask you to bring uh, revival ask you to bring um, a revolution of our, of, our, of our souls and our spirits and our mind, God. So we'll be ending that way. But today I want to talk about truth and we'll end with repentance and you'll see how they dovetail in a second. So the truth piece, this is what we're on today. In order to change um, and, and form into the way of Jesus, we need to know what's real. We need to know what is true. We live in a world of competing truth claims. This is basically every single time you turn on the news or you're talking with your friends, um, we are in a, uh, there's a story war going on on what is true. Ultimately, we believe, the church believes, that truth comes at us in Jesus. Jesus came to bring truth, not just teach truth, but he said he himself is the truth. Truth is a person. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So truth is a person. Truth is Jesus, and Jesus has a way. And through his truth, he brings life. So Jesus is all these things, the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus says his teachings 
were the truth. And the truth you'll know. And he says the truth will set you free. We need truth. And we need the truth of Jesus to truly change and to be free. But this is harder than it seems. See, embodied truth is different than professed truth. The church is really good at professing truth. And it has a harder time embodying this same truth. I have... And, I, and I'm, I'm not speaking just of you, of myself as well. I will profess a lot of truth. I will give sermons that I think are fairly good, but I, but I find it hard, if you ask my wife, Ashley, to live out these really kind of okay sermons, these good sermons even, some of them are, and to live them out is a whole different thing. And I think we know this, right? We, we know what Jesus commands. We can even repeat back what Jesus commands, but to actually do the truth that we profess is hard. The church has a long history of professed truth and not embodied truth. And the way we can understand professed truth versus embodied truth is to think about, I like this example of thinking about gravity. Think about gravity for a second. Think about the first um, ropes course you've ever been on. Have you ever been on those ropes courses like in, in like camps and stuff like that where you put on a harness and you go up to like, you know, on the tree line and you're up there and it's really high and you're like afraid of heights and you're like wearing this harness that's like a diaper around you. And, and so basically what you're out, you're out there, they're teaching you like, you, first of all, you've known for basically all your life that gravity is real. And you, your mind knows this and your body knows this. And you believe this to your core. You believe it and you act as if it were true, right? That gravity is true. So you step up some like 40 or 50 feet into the sky and you're on this like limber tree that's, that's like swaying and you're on these little ropes and you're told to believe some new information. And the new information is this. You're told to believe that gravity won't work on you up here because these ropes and harnesses will keep you up and alive. They will keep you balanced and keep you like, they'll catch you if you fall. Now, you can profess these truths. You can say, yes, I believe in these ropes. I believe in this harness diaper that I'm wearing. I believe in these things. And then they make you do things like leaps of faith or they make you tell yourself, believe this new information and just jump, right? To, you, I've ever, I don't know if you've ever been on a ropes course, but sometimes they have these like maybe three foot gaps you're supposed to clear. Like jump over this little three foot gap and you, you won't fall, like you'll be okay. But your body won't move. You, you, some of us gets paralyzed up there. And the reason why is um, it's hard to get, your, to get your body to believe something new. It's hard. You can know it in your mind, and you, but you can't will yourself to believe something. It's, it, it's really hard. This is really hard to break off of. And this is why it's hard for us to break off of old lies that we live into. We've lived into lies, things that maybe have people have told us about ourselves since we were kids that are lies. And it's so hard as we become adults to break off from these lies because our, our body, our neural pathways, our mental maps of reality automatically go there. It's easy to say, I don't believe I'm ugly or whatever, but because you've been told that your entire life, that belief is embodied and ingrained in you. So you can profess things, but you don't believe things. So truth, though it's necessary for change, isn't, just, isn't in itself sufficient for change. We need to get the truth and the teachings of Jesus into our bodies. Now, how do we do that? What does that look like? 
Well, first, I want to start with making a few obvious, um, maybe a few obvious things more obvious, because that's sometimes helpful. So let me make some obvious things very, very, very obvious for you. First, uh, Christians, followers of Jesus, are not just people who believe something, like a statement of faith. Christians are not just people who go somewhere, like a church, digitally or otherwise. Christians are first and foremost apprentices of Jesus. I love that word apprentices because an apprentice is someone who's with someone else to learn how to do what they do and then go and do it themselves, right? So if you're an apprentice of a baker or a plumber or a carpenter or whatever, you're basically learning the trade from them. You're with them so you can learn the trade from them and then you go and do it yourself. Disciples of Jesus are apprentices of Jesus. They're with Jesus to learn how to become like Jesus and then go do the stuff Jesus did when Jesus, like, eventually, this is basically the story of the gospel, when Jesus eventually leaves his disciples, gives them the spirit and says, go do what I did, which is the Great Commission. Go make disciples, teach them what I taught you, teach them how to live what I taught you, and then have them go do the same thing with other people. And 2,000 plus years later, here we are. And our goal, apprenticeship to Jesus, is about learning what Jesus taught and doing what Jesus taught. Again, this is kind of basic information, um, basic discipleship of what, what it means to be a Christian. So the objective and the hope of our lives as Christians is that we would act and respond like Jesus would if he were us. Everywhere we go and no matter what situation we're in, the goal of the life of, of, a, of a Christian or a follower of Jesus is to act and respond like Jesus, if like Jesus were us. Whether that's relational conflict, whether that's uh, uh, living in a divided nation in an election year, whether that's uh, in a horrible season of your marriage, that you would live and act and respond as if Jesus were you. That's the hope. And not just that, we also believe, Christians also believe deep down that to be like Jesus and to follow Jesus' teaching is actually the life lived at its fullest. Meaning, this is what Jesus calls abundant life, that actually living according to the teachings of Jesus is the most peaceful, integrated, joyful life that there is. Even though on the surface it seems really hard to do, once you get it into your body and into your life through practice and through truth, it becomes the best way to live. Meaning that when we become like Jesus in situations where we bless those who curse us, that isn't just an act of obedience to Jesus' teachings. It's also the best way to live. The same goes for being free from fear or free from anxiety. The same goes for being free from the need of others' praise of you or being liked by everyone. When you live into the teachings of Jesus and you become someone who does not fear or is not anxious or does not worry as Jesus teaches, you actually become the kind of person that is the most free, that's living the abundant life. Jesus calls this literally life abundantly, and the, which is like a byproduct of taking Jesus' teachings in and his way of living very, very seriously. So to summarize the very obvious points of Christianity, the hope and the call of being a follower of Jesus is really being an apprentice of Jesus 
and learning to become like him. It's even in the name, right? Christian literally means small Christs or little Christs. That we would be little Christs everywhere we go, living as if Jesus were us. Not, not that we would be a Jewish male living in the first century, but that Jesus would be us, male, female, living where we are at doing the thing we're doing in tech or in finance or at home, whatever we're doing, that, 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 that we would be, we would act as if Jesus were us. Now, there is a problem here. And the problem is most of us don't automatically live and respond and react like Jesus would if he were us. We don't do the teachings of Jesus spontaneously. For example, not many of us, when we receive that nasty text or email or Twitter thread response, don't respond with blessing. We get that really, really horrible email or that really devastating text. Our natural response is not, I bless you. I bless you, person who sent me this really bad email. I bless you and I want to bless you. And I will turn my other cheek to you. That is not our spontaneous, natural response. It is typically one of retaliation. It is typically one of defense. It is typically one of, I will, I will, go, I will go after you to destroy you. Is that, is that kind of, maybe I'm being a little dramatic. Maybe not. That's kind of how it feels for many people. N- another example. Not many of us, when we receive um, bad news, want to surrender to surrender to uh, God's will. Or when we're called to do something difficult, to say, not my will, but God's will be done. But we all know that's exactly what Jesus taught, right? Jesus says that the best way to live and the right way to live as followers of Jesus is to bless those who curse you, to pray to the Father, not my will, but your will be done. It's literally in the Lord's prayer, but we, we don't do this. Now, the reason why we don't respond like this is for some of us, we still don't believe Jesus when he says this is the best way to live. Let me explain. When Jesus teaches on retaliation to bless and not curse, when Jesus teaches on marriage and sexuality, that it was in the beginning, man and woman for life, no divorce, When Jesus teaches on money, that you can't serve God and money, and money is as close to a God than anything else Jesus ever teaches on, and to be very, very careful and maybe even fearful that you would be serving money and not God. When Jesus teaches on the exclusiveness of God, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to God except through Jesus, And when Jesus teaches on the inclusiveness of salvation, that God so loved the world that whosoever believes will will not perish but have eternal life. When Jesus teaches these things, there are some of us and there are some things that we don't fully believe yet. I have literally heard people in my office tell me that they can't believe Jesus would say what is in the Bible that he said. Like, I can't believe Jesus would say that scripture that you just read. Or they say, I don't think Jesus meant what you think he means by that. Thomas Jefferson famously took a razor and scissors to his Bible to cut out all the parts and 
all the parts and teachings of Jesus that he found especially over the top or that offended his Enlightenment era sense of reason. And he was left with a very short Bible. Took out all the things that offended him or all the things that he thought, well, that was over the top. Jesus probably wouldn't ever have said that. Many of us don't use scissors these days, but nonetheless, we remove a lot of what Jesus says uh, from our day-to-day lives. But this is first and foremost an offense to the very thing Jesus calls his followers to do. In the Great Commission, Jesus talked to his disciples, he tasked his disciples rather, to make disciples, to baptize them, and then he says, I want you to go and teach them to obey everything I commanded you. So the whole essence of like their mission was to, to baptize people into the Christian faith and then teach them to obey everything that Jesus taught. Literally, that's the definition of what it means to be a Christian, to be someone who is learning how to obey everything Jesus commanded. That is everything he taught. Now, if this is all new information to you, welcome to Biblical Apprenticeship to Jesus, and I'm really glad you're here. Now, the first task of an apprentice is to acknowledge that Jesus is right. Say this with me out loud in your homes. Jesus is right, which means America is not fully right. Your family of origin is not fully right. The university degree that's hanging on your bedroom wall is not fully right. How you believe the world works with money and globalization and capitalism isn't fully right. Jesus is right. Now, as a part of saying that Jesus is right, you might not automatically act as if everything Jesus said were true. For example, you might not believe that the meek will inherit the earth. You might not live as if that were true. If you did, you would look for meek people all over the place and go, and you would want yourself to be meek because you said, because you would say, Jesus taught that the meek in the Sermon on the Mount the meek will inherit the earth. I want to be meek and I want to be around people who are meek. And if people who are not meek, I'm going to be, a, I'm going to be like kind of cautious because Jesus said that's not who's going to take, who's not going to rule the earth with him and the kingdom come. The meek will, the meek. But we don't live as if it were true. We like people who are assertive, uh, go-getters, um, uh, aggressive even, people that um, win, people that know how to win the meek. And so we don't live as if that were true. You might not live as if the persecuted are blessed, or maybe you don't live as if the poor are blessed, but Jesus said all of these things are true. Now, you might know Jesus said these things, but we, you and I, and I'll, I'll, I'll let myself right in there with you. We do not believe as, we don't believe and live as if these are true yet. But the first step is believing that Jesus does believe this. Jesus does believe what he teaches and that Jesus is right when he says that. So to take the, like something like the Sermon on the Mount and say, I believe that what Jesus said is true and I want to live according to this. See, most of the problem with the truth claims of our world is that most of them are in opposition, not completely, but if you pick them apart, some of what they claim are in opposition to the teachings of Jesus. America and the way uh, its value system is run are in many parts in opposition to the way of Jesus as taught in the Sermon on the Mount. 
the racial justice that we're seeing in our world and the outrage that we're seeing on the world, parts of it and many parts of it are in opposition to the way of Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount. Our task, and this is what we'll be talking about in a couple of the podcast, is to pick through them and to go, what things do we, uh, that we, do we like, reject and say, no, those are not a part of the coming kingdom of God that is not the part of the way of Jesus or the teaching of Jesus or the truth as Jesus taught it. As a Christian, I have to reject those parts. And here's what I'll affirm. Here's what I'll say. Yeah, that is right and good. And we do that with every single thing in the world. This is our task as Christians because Jesus is right and everything else is not fully right. Now, if you feel stuck in your discipleship, to Jesus, and you want to know how you can begin to grow in what is true about Jesus, start with believing that everything Jesus said was right. Start believing it as you believe one plus one equals two, that it's ultimate reality. That in ultimate reality, the meek inherit the earth. Jesus is just saying ultimate reality. This is how the world is aligned. This is how the world actually works. That's not how you see it, but I promise you behind the veil, that's how the world works. This is um, upside down logic. This is upside down kingdom of God, but it's actually the way the world really works. This is what Jesus is saying. So to get here though, now I might be saying all this stuff about about truth, about Jesus is the truth and his teachings are true and we're aligning our, our lives to this truth and embodying and attempting to embody through practices this truth. But I wanna end here. I wanna end with a very important um, place to start and saying Jesus is right. And this place is repentance. Repentance is... Um, Repentance with humility is something that God desires probably the most from us as his followers. A turning, a constant, all of life is repentance, a constant turning away from our wrongs and the wrongs that we believe, the ways that we're disoriented and disintegrated from ultimate reality, that is the teachings of Jesus. And we continue to confess and realign ourselves with the truth of Jesus over and over and over again with everything. This is the way, this is where it starts. This is why Jesus, when he began his public ministry, literally Mark was, is the, was the first gospel ever written. These are Jesus's literal first words from any of the gospels. Mark chapter one, verse 15, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near. Jesus says, repent and believe the good news. Jesus is about to start his public teaching ministry. He's about to begin a life of teaching the way of life in the kingdom of God. And he says, to begin, you have to repent from what you think, your expectations of basically of God's kingdom come and what you think that means, of every single thing, the way life is ordered. Repent and believe the good news. And this is a hard thing for us uh, modern, secular uh, people to do. Because we don't, we don't really, um, we don't think Jesus is right about everything. We think Jesus is right about some things. And so we don't really have to repent. Um, 
what we would do is we'll just kind of choose some things of what Jesus has said and then mix that in with some things that we really like that was said from this sociologist and, and this uh, spiritual guru and this other person and that other person. Instead of using those, those people to affirm the truth of what Jesus says, we kind of like reject some things what Jesus says and place these other people in there and say, well, I, I take some of Jesus and take some of my own stuff. But the essence of repentance is to stop and to say, everyone else is not fully right. Jesus is right. And I repent and I will change my mind. Repentance has to do with a change of mind, has to do with a change of attitude. It's confessing that God is right and that the way you think and the way that you lived is not. To confess sin, which is this word means, uh, sin means miss the mark or that you're broken or crooked. Jesus is the plumb line, the target, the, the one who's right and we're not. And I think this is really important to do um, as a church with all the ways that, that, the, that we ourselves as the church have been misaligned. The things that we've fought for that are not uh, what Jesus would want us to fight for. And all the ways that we've been silent in, in, in ways that Jesus would not want us to be silent. We need to repent. And so what I'd like to do is I'd like to just lead us in a time of repentance right now before we move along to, um, to what's next. And so I don't have any of this scripted. Um, this is just going to come from um, my own heart. And so uh, would, you, would you stand with me and um, open your hands to God? Let's just be, um, let's be still for a second. Let's confess that Jesus is right. Jesus, you are, you are right. You are truth. You are the way. You are life, God. Your words are life. Your words are true, Jesus. And we repent. We turn from the ways that we think we're right. The ways that we think we have a corner on certain truth, the ways that we have become pharisaical, the ways that we've become zealots, the ways that we have become um, fearful. We repent. We turn from ways that our, the church has been complicit in silence and even complicit in, of, in giving voice to things that don't align with your kingdom. We repent. Lord, we repent of our sin, of disbelief, our sin of trying to get our way or thinking in somehow in some way that you are not sovereign over the nations that you're not sovereign over the world, that you know how to move the world along and to your intended end. We repent. And we place ourselves under your mercy and under your gospel. We believe the gospel. We believe in your power and the power of the cross that has taken uh, the weakness of your 
of your body given over to crucifixion, and that's become our strength. The resurrection has become our strength. It's become the way that you have crushed the enemy. We believe the gospel that we are saved through what you have done, and you've made it possible for us to live into your kingdom through your teachings. And so God, we want to align ourselves to you. Heal our nation, God. Heal, before you do that, God, heal the church. Heal the divided church, Lord. Our church is divided. The church is divided. It is so hard for us to mourn with those who are mourning and rejoice with those who are rejoicing. We have lost a capacity for empathy and listening, God. And we really move away from each other more than we move toward each other in brotherly love. When we don't agree, we just easily move along and we move away. We repent of that sort of just horrible attitude of division. And we, and we confess using religiosity as a way of doing that as well. The fact that we're biblically right and you're biblically wrong, so therefore we're moving away from you. Lord, draw us closer together in unity. We repent of our disunity. We repent of blaming it on Christians in that part of the nation when they are our brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus, we, we pray that the judgment that seems to be being brought on the world in some ways. We acknowledge that if this is your judgment, we want to repent. And we'd be foolish. We'd be foolish not to see that. We'd be foolish not to use the opportunity to repent. And so we ask God, be merciful, pour out your mercy on our church and our world. You are right, your, your word is true, your teachings are true, and we give ourselves over to them. Would you help us, God, by the power of your spirit, in Jesus' name, amen.